Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here, FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. I'd like to apologize uh, for the raspy quality of my voice today, and I'm not sure why that is, except maybe... uh, Breathing the 104-degree air in this valley over the past week may have something to do with it. You know, they're planning to put, what, 7 million more people in the Central Valley of California in the next, like, 15 to 20 years, like the entire population of Los Angeles, in an area that gets temperature inversions, making it the world's perfect smog trap. Not a good idea. Um, Anyway, hopefully we'll be joined later on today's program, raspy voice and all, by Vladimir Zaravika, our special aviation correspondent, who will be talking to us about the voyages of Chen Ho, the Chinese explorer of the 15th century. And what's it got to do with aviation, you ask? Well, not a damn thing, but we're going to just make do anyway. We also hope we will be joined by our good friend Tom Burka, calling us from... uh, from the East Coast, a little bit later, Tom's uh, Tom's wonderful blog, Opinions You Should Have, is a riot and should be checked out, I think, by, by one and all. On this date in history, July 28th, in 1586, Sir Thomas Harriet introduced potatoes to Europe. He brought them to Britain from Colombia. On this date in 1858, William Herschel of the Indian Civil Service at Jaipur made the first use of fingerprints as a means of identification. He went on to establish a fingerprint registry. And on this date in 1868, the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was adopted. The amendment resolved pre-Civil War questions of African-American citizenship by stating that all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States and the state in which they reside. Our quote of the day comes from Herm Albright, who said, A positive attitude may not solve all your problems, but it will annoy people enough to make it worth the effort. In fact, let's take a second selection from the Wit and Wisdom section of The Week magazine. This comes from Simpsons creator Matt Greening, who said, When the authorities warn you of the sinfulness of sex, there's an important lesson to be learned. Do not have sex with the authorities. You know, I guess that'll probably suffice as our joke of the day, except, wait, no... Here's a quote from Uncle John's bathroom reader, I think should be our joke of the day. Comes from former President Harry S. Truman, who said, My choice early in life was to either be a piano player in a whorehouse or a politician. And to tell the truth, there's hardly any difference. (music) 
And speaking of the week, as we just were, we love our, uh, our, our generally weekly look at their good week for, bad week for section. They judged it a good week for, this week, mortifying the flesh after police in India punished 200 people caught watching an illegal porn movie by making them do sit-ups in a public square. Here's one I would title, Elliot Spitzer, Take Note. According to the week, it was a bad week for insider trading after the manager of a Hungarian supermarket unexpectedly ordered his staff to slash the price of beef tenderloin by two-thirds shortly before his wife came in and bought 47 pounds of it. Police are investigating whether the two events are related. And it was also a bad week for science. After a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association reported that up to 32% of scientific studies may be inaccurate and misleading. Some scientists have already disputed the accuracy of the study. We really do owe a debt to Weak Publications, LLC, for their, uh, their, their contributions to this show. Case in point, the Only in America section of the current edition, which noted that animal rights activists are calling for the town of Fishkill, New York, to change its name. The kill in Fishkill derives from the Dutch word for creek. But People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals says that that fact is lost on the general public. When they think of Fishkill, they think of abusing fish. And that's not the right message, said Karen Robertson of PETA. By that standard, said Fishkill town historian Willa Skinner, PETA should also be challenging otter kill, beaver kill, and for that matter, the Catskills. All right, a little bit closer to home, uh, our governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, has been, uh, been, been written up as being in retreat. That was the cover of the San Francisco Chronicle on, uh, on Saturday, July 23rd. Under two different headings, he'll quit accepting money from Arnold Classic Bodybuilding event. And the second heading said Schwarzenegger's advisors discuss canceling special election. Of course, in the B on Tuesday, it noted that the redistricting measure has now gotten a reprieve. As of, uh, as of then, the, a Sacramento judge has ordered to toss out the Proposition 77 redistricting measure from the upcoming special election ballot was temporarily suspended Monday by the 3rd District Court of Appeal. This doesn't mean it's going back on the ballot, but it does mean it's going to be reviewed and, well, potentially put back on the ballot. Now, I haven't really read exactly what Prop 77 said, there seem to be some subtle wording differences between the petitions that were basically out in front of uh, Safeways and shopping centers and what actually got onto the ballot, which is really a terrible oversight on somebody's part. But anyway, the News and Review has written an article about gerrymandering. It's appeared in The Week magazine. The Economist is talking about what's going on in here in California. It seems to be generally agreed that something has to be done about this. Common cause a nonpartisan group dedicated to increasing political accountability, points out that 98.2% of the 
of congressmen in the U.S. were re-elected to the House of Representatives last November. The Economist noted that perhaps the best solution in California is the open primary, in which Republicans may vote for Democrats and vice versa. This should encourage both parties to select moderate candidates. Governor Schwarzenegger likes this idea, and no wonder. He holds his job only because of the recall of Governor Gray Davis, and wildly popular though he is, he would have never made it through the Republican primary. One of the consequences of having safe seats is the two parties, Democrats and Republican, carve it up, and they don't have to have anyone who appeals to the other side, and therefore we have deepening of the ideologic divisions of, uh, of what political parties we have in the United States. Really, something's got to be done about this, and we'll be continuing to follow this saga. We're kind of pulling for the governor on this one. All right, some follow-up. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Tulsa Zoo has scrapped plans to install an exhibit on the biblical account of creation next to a display on evolution. An oversight board approved the creationism exhibit last month after architect Dan Hicks, the son of an evangelical missionary, accused zoo officials of an anti-Christian bias. The board changed its mind after zoo donations declined amid public outcry to drop the creationism display. Religion belongs in a place of worship said board member Dale McNamara. Thank God. (laughs) And also, by way of follow-up, we have to offer a correction, apparently, for our our discussion of Hamilton Nakai, which we we talked about a few weeks back on the program. Hamilton Nakai was a black living in South Africa who had extraordinary surgical skills. It turned out that he apparently, according to the first story, Um, had been involved in the first heart transplant uh, of Dr. Christian Barnard's team at uh, the Cape Town University in South Africa. Well, according to The Economist magazine, uh, they said their account, which we reported to you, was drawn directly from Mr. Nakai's own words and interviews. We have since been assured by surgeons at Groot Shure, the hospital where the transplant was performed, that Mr. Nakai was nowhere near the operating theater. As a black and as a person with no formal medical qualifications, he was not allowed to be. The surgeons who actually removed the donor's heart were Marius Barnard, Christian Barnard's brother, and Terry O'Donovan. A source close to Mr. Nakai once asked him where he was when he first heard about the transplant, and he replied that he'd heard about it on the radio. Later, he apparently changed his story. And again, according to The Economist, he changed it not because of the confusion of old age, because of pressure of those around him. Mr. Nakai was already a hero, being that he was a man of scant education who had trained himself to carry out extremely difficult transplants in animals, but he's also a martyr to apartheid. And his skills were undeniable. Christian Barnard admitted that given the opportunity, Mr. Nakai would have been a better surgeon than me. So for both reasons, notes the magazine, his role was gradually embellished in post-apartheid black-ruled South Africa, and by the end, He himself came to believe it. I got to tell you, I'm personally a little bit suspicious about this retraction. I think that uh, the the medic, I don't know what the medical legal situation is in South Africa. It's got to be better than it is in the United States. But, um, you know, I I wonder, I just wonder about this. I just wonder whether this, I wonder which story is true at this point. 
And even if it's true that on the first heart transplant case, Mr. Nakai was not part of the team that removed the heart from the donor, that doesn't mean he wasn't present in the operating theater on many other occasions, something which I think even now the hospital would naturally be reluctant to admit. We reported a few months back that uh, in Portugal, uh, they passed one of the strictest bans on abortion in Europe. Although 30,000 Portuguese women were still getting illegal abortions, they noted that prosecutions were rare. Two women, however, went on trial of late in a case that, uh, that riveted Portugal for more than one year, and in the end, the two were acquitted. Opponents of the ban had nearly gotten it lifted through a national referendum in 1998 and are trying again this year with a new referendum. Polls show most Portuguese favor more permissive laws. Yeah, and speaking of having another baby, uh, I think we're going to have a lot more babies here in the U.S. of A. if uh, John Roberts gets on the Supreme Court and replaces Sandra Day O'Connor. I think you can pretty much kiss uh, kiss Roe v. Wade goodbye. And I was quite shocked to see in the Insight section of the Chronicle last Sunday article by Katha Pollitt saying, is it time for Roe v. Wade to go anyway? Noting that, you know, state control would make abortion more democratic. Uh, Katha Pollitt evidently writes for The Nation magazine. Unbelievable. No, it's not time for Roe v. Wade to go away, I don't think. Um, folks, how about you? What, what do you think? What do you think? Dear listener, is it time that we chucked Roe v. Wade out the window? Um, they noted in, uh, in the Chronicle article that um, attorneys say that once they take a case, they have an ethical obligation to advance the best argument. So people are trying to interpret what Roberts uh, thinks from what Roberts has written and I, I think that's, it's rather curious. Uh, uh, the article had to point out that while well, some lawyers feel bound by their own beliefs, so they abstain from working for, say, accused criminals or rich corporations. These are the true believers, attorneys like Ralph Nader, who refused to switch principles just because they serve the client's interest. I need to believe in what I'm doing, Nader said, and I really believe a lawyer needs to take his or her conscience to work. Roberts has given credit for having a sense of humor, which I think would be a welcome addition to the Bush administration, frankly. He noted in one of his uh, briefs that uh, in the interest of even fuller disclosure, quoting himself, he would like to also point out that his views as a commentator on those cases do not necessarily reflect his views as an advocate for his former client, the United States, which caused right-wing author Ann Coulter to sputter this would have been the legal equivalent of after O.J.'s acquittal, Johnny Cochran saying, hey, I never said the guy was innocent. I was just doing my job. Well, that, that is our legal system, but I'll, I'll, I'll score one for Rand Coulter. You know, this, this whole issue of, of, of population and, and, and population control, lack of it, they've been talking about the famine in Niger, 11 million people over there suffering uh, badly from the lack of rains, but I think mostly suffering from the fact that there are 11 million people living in Niger when the nation can probably only support a much, much smaller number with a degree of security and safety that the population can get fed. It's often been said that, you know, the real problem impacting the world is not people in the third world, people living in Niger. It's, it's Americans, given our standard of living, how many resources we tap into. Therefore, I was somewhat stunned to have noted in uh, last week's Economist on page, it looks like two, of, uh, of a special section on the United States of America that, quote, 
in the past 10 years, the number of Americans has risen from 263 million to almost 300 million. This is the fastest growth for 40 years. America's population is rising more than twice as fast as the European Union's. And two-thirds of that growth comes from natural increase, whereas almost all the modest rise in the EU's population recently has come from immigration. This issue of immigration population controls, it's, it's, it's split various factions like the Sierra Club and has really just been buried by the efforts of the conservatives in this country who for the past 20 years have decided that very definitely overpopulation in the world in general and the United States in particular are simply not issues. They're not important. It's not a problem. We'd like to get some feedback from you the listening public. So if you could write us, please do write us at info at radioparallax.com and um, express your opinion. We'll read the best comments on the air. All right, let's close our segment with the rather pathetic item as follows. Paula Jones is looking for a sponsor to pay her to wear a t-shirt carrying the sponsor's logo during her first visit to the Clinton Presidential Center in Little Rock, Arkansas. The $850,000 she won in the settlement of her sexual harassment suit against Clinton was gone years ago, she says, with most of it going to her lawyers. I got $151,000, she said. Mary Kay Latourneau can molest a child and turn around and marry him and make a million dollars off their TV wedding. Well, yes, but two wrongs don't seem to make a right here now, do they? Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the famous voyages of Chen Ho, a Muslim eunuch who sailed for the Chinese emperor in the 15th century on seven magnificent voyages of exploration, which you've probably never heard of. Stay tuned. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM. Don't 